0: Hello Democrats of Greater Tucson, I'm Charlie, the Secretary of DGT. On today's podcast we have Dustin Williams, the Pima County Superintendent, who joined us at our meeting on February 17th. If you would like to attend our meeting, see our speakers in person, and ask them questions, you can join us at Kettle Restaurant at 22nd and I-10 almost every Monday at noon. You can also see the schedule of our upcoming speakers at our website, thedgt.org, that's T-H-E-D-G-T dot you can support Democrats of Greater Tucson by becoming a member of our organization. Membership is just $20 for the year. You can join us either by signing up on our website or attending one of our meetings in person. Your support allows us to continue being a platform for Democratic candidates and causes. Dustin Williams was elected to the position of Pima County School Superintendent in 2016 and he's seeking reelection this year. Here's our program director, Sandy Binion, introducing him. Justin is a a Tucson
1: native, and he went to Amphi High School. Um, He's also a U of A graduate with his B.A., and then he left us and went up north. (laughs) Satellite campuses. (laughs) Satellite campuses. Anyway, and and got a master's of educational leadership um, from northern Arizona. Uh, He began work um, with youth uh, youth groups way back when and uh, he's um, been a principal of a charter school, high school, and
0: he's uh, been a teacher obviously for many years also before this. So would you please welcome Dustin.
1: My mic because I got a yeah. hot mic, right? Yeah. Great. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. Appreciate those words. Well, it's glad to be in a room full of Democrats. How about that? <laughs> and I have been up to the Capitol a numerous amount of times. Uh, Today's a neat day. It's a great day to celebrate President's Day. Most importantly, when you're a county official, you get federal holidays off. So it's kind of nice to just have the office closed. I was downtown in my office for just a minute and Nice little ghost area right now downtown. I think there's some people walking around trying to do some stuff, not realizing that none of the offices are open. But, uh, that's exactly right, Sandy's right. My my whole career has been surrounded by kids. Literally uh, about 20 years ago, I was that guy. I was uh, coaching girls softball. I had two sisters, and I was sitting out in the outfield. I was a mortgage broker at the time, and I was sitting out in the outfield and. I just it just dawned on me at that moment this is happy as I ever get And at that moment I went back and I had to change all my credits and everything and had to go back to school to go be an educator and that's what I did so I've been dealing with kids and education through coaching after school programs summer camps elementary teacher did my interim principalship at Crooge. went over to do uh, my administration gig at a uh, little failing a uh, Native American prep school called Hashin, which was was really a blessing in disguise. It was the first time that, uh, obviously, I was ever an administrator uh, as principal. And then the second thing was, it was the first time that I truly got to understand the Native American culture. And I always told the kids, I said, you know what, I took my humanities and I did all that at the U of A, and only to realize I didn't learn a darn thing over there. Not until they actually embraced me with their culture and really uh, got to go to cells a lot. We would bust, bust the kids in an hour in, and an hour out. Um, it was quite remarkable. Um, and it was at that time that a group of teachers and some individuals, um, bless his soul, does everybody remember a fine gentleman by the name of Martin Bacall? <laughs> Martin Bacall was—he's uh, my grandfather's friend, and they knew I wanted to kind of get into politics. And I, I don't know how Martin did it, but you never left without signing something with Mark.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, if I didn't
1: have 20. I think he made me go get the 20 and come back. I don't, I don't know how he did it, but uh, I left as a precinct committee member. And he said, I want you to go work on this and see what it's like. And I said, OK. And I went to the precinct committee member, commet- precinct 57. And I felt like the mayor and the sheriff all in one. I was walking around the neighborhood and we were cleaning up, graffiti, and doing all sorts of yard things and I felt and I knew so at that point then I so really so had to bug to back go to the next level I wanted to be a school p- p- superintendent for really one reason and one reason only. It's the same reason why I wake up every day. My life surrounds about making kids successful. What can I do or what program or who can I partner with or what can I do? to make the life of a child special and also successful. Mm-hmm. So that's what I constantly do all day long. So did I know what the superintendent did uh, verbatim? No. So when I went around and I asked, hey, do you know what the superintendent does? 12 out of 10 people had no idea what the <laughs> P. McKenzie was. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for laughing at that. That's part of my roadshow. Um, <laughs> It was really remarkable. Then I actually took a step back and looked at it a little bit more, and I said, well, that's kind of a little bit of also a disservice. I said, I've been in education now 20 years. I should, know, I should have some sort of a relationship or, or know something. And uh, I found out we were doing professional development with the Pima County School superintendent's office. Teachers always have to get their certs re-up. So I said, "You know, we're always doing the PD here. I said, let's, let's move over. I want to go to your office. I want, I want to see what's going on over there. And when i went in the office i looked around and i said to myself this is noisy crickets <laughs> and i go this is this needs to be popping it needs to be hopping and we need to be moving and doing some amazing things in here and that was it i was hooked and so i called ht sanchez at the time who was um, the superintendent of tusd and uh, i told him my plans and i said you know the admin role over at hashan's it's, it's too many hours it's going to be really hard for me to do complete service for the entire school and over and back and forth. Um, I want to come back to teach you. He goes, fine, we'll throw you in middle school over at uh, Mansfield. I said, fantastic. So I had sixth graders and we did a, gave me this whole course on, it's called Math Counts. And it was all about engineering practices and building stuff. And it was truly remarkable because you could let the students just build whatever they wanted to do, but then they had to give you the conceptual facts where the math was behind it and we did that for uh, a two-year program a two-year contract and it was a it was split half year i had half of six the other semester i had the other sixth grade we lasted a year and a half because there was about two hundred thousand voters in pima county that said okay we're going to give you the shot and that's how i got elected in 2016. Um, <laughs> So as Kim can probably vouch, uh, when you get elected to these row offices, these, these really dynamic, um, uh, extremely responsible, uh, really the last point of everything that funnels into the counties, um, there's no real huge playbook. It, you know, it's not, hey, here you go, does and this is, you kind of get in there and you're kind of learning as you go and the people that you have. So I'll just tell you briefly what the county school superintendent's office does. We do a ton of things all day long, but we do three really huge things that are really, really important. One is we are all your admin and your money and your certifications. So teachers need to get certified. They go to ADE in the county that they want to teach. We sign off and the superintendent signs off on that. Schools want to pay their checks and pay their teachers. We sign off on all the teachers' checks. So I sign every single teacher's check. Um, They want to buy anything, we balance each month with their ledger and our ledger to make sure they're okay. So we do all the money for all the district schools. Those are your amphi, those are your flowing wells. There's two schools that we only do the lump sum, and we don't do the ledger back and forth. That's more with the treasurer's department. And that would be the Tucson Unified School District and Sunnyside. So we will give them their lump sums. And then that is pretty much it. And that happened in the late 80s. Big district schools could opt out. Um, it's called a county responsibility plan. And that's just what happened. So kind of came into that mixture. We are in slight discussions with both of those districts, possibly having them come back home. Um, I'm very much in favor of that. I'd love to have everybody under the umbrella of uh, my office, and for two reasons, accountability and transparency. I think everybody has a right to just know everything that's going on. Not that you don't, but it's much easier. You can come right to our office. I can show you the books on a day-to-day level for uh, following the walls right here. It's quite unique. Uh, the other interesting thing is if you own a home, any homeowners here? Great. OK, we set your tax rate. All right, if you like your tax rate, that's all me. If you don't, call Chuck Huckleberry or Brian Bickle. That will be his fault later on. Um, uh, It's a really daunting task, and you work with literally everyone. Very, very heavily, you are one-on-one with the treasurer. Very, very heavily, you're one-on-one with the recorder, the clerk, the assessor. Those teams have got to be super, super dynamic. And when I came into education, You're always a teacher leader and a a group partner, and you're always trying to do stuff collaboratively. That's not always how it works in elected offices in different areas. So what we've really been trying to do is to foster that sort of um, energy and to say, hey, Let's put down our guards a little bit. It's not just your elected office. Let's really try to streamline. Let's try to figure out as much as we possibly can to make things work in a really, really smooth way. And we're doing a really, really good job. And, and the partnerships are really, really building. We've built an incredible, amazing partnership with the administration, Chuck Huckleberry, and the Board of Supervisors. And really just retooling right now. We are in a huge thing at the office. Uh, we have an old, annotated IT system I don't know if you guys know a lot about computers raise your hand if they drive you crazy okay then we're on the same page Um, but really an outdated system we're um, retooling this whole entire thing neat project just very time-consuming that's a lot of the admin stuff that goes on when we switch over to the one of the other big roles that we do we're in the House of Professional Development. So we teach teachers. So schools will call us, and they'll ask us for a particular need. We have niche programs, like leadership programs. We have programs for uh, special education. We have programs that are for gifted students. Whatever the niche is in our office, we'll facilitate that. If Patsy called me and said, Dustin, I need to do high-level calculus, we're not a niche in that area. We'll partner with one of our other cohorts, which might be the University of Arizona, or NAU, or vice versa, and bring in some professionals to do some specialized training. So that's a big part of the office, and that's a big part of opportunity for the office. This is where we get to get into big corporations and try to say, hey, um, we've got a big need. We want to send about 6,000 kids and teachers to the Roadrunners, and we want to do it for free. So we'll get with the business community, and we'll try to convince them. Anything we can do to boost the morale in those areas That's where that program area comes into place. Um, Something else is really unique. I'll get a lot of phone calls on a daily basis. And they'll call and say, Dustin, I want you to change this at this school. (laughs) And I say, "Okay, I agree with you. But unfortunately, um, I can't do that. The superintendent's office has no authority on local jurisdiction schools. So if you called me and wanted to make a change at any district school. Your avenue for that is our office. We will help facilitate the conversation, but then really, it's the elected board members of the district and that superintendent they're that going to make those final shots. So they are in charge of their area. When it comes to charter schools, it's in the same boat, and private schools as well. The homeschool community is also part of the admin part, and we serve, and we'll do their affidavit of values for the homeschool, which is about thirty five hundred kiddos a year and family one school is ours we do have one that is all of ours and it's the school that's called the accommodation district and that is the school that's located in the juvenile detention center and then right down the street on Silver Lake which is the jail we've got about a hundred kids in total and so I spend a lot of time in jail no pun intended and the reason that I do is those are really the wheelhouse for for my kids, and we've spent a ton of times in in districts and charters and privates. We've been in approximately three hundred and twenty-five schools. I've been in three hundred and twenty-five schools since being sworn in in twenty seventeen. Yep, it's absolutely daunting. And and here's one of the big messages I want you to take home today. So if someone says, "How's education going?" I want you to say, "Education in Pima County is." Fantastic. Not the funding model. I want to step away from the funding model because we spend so much time on that, and we always will. But we have got to give credit where credit is due. These teachers in these classrooms are absolutely trying to the best of their ability. They've got their lesson plans ready. The administrators are trying their best. We've got overcrowded classrooms, and they're dealing with human beings all day long just the child it's the child then you have the other cohort of the child which is the parent so they've got the parent to deal with and then they have all of the stuff that goes on with that school so if someone asks you what's going on I can tell you first and 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 by none, we are doing a fantastic job when it comes to quality of education in the county now the flip side and the dark eye to all of it is we're always last in, in funding. And we are going to continue to be last in funding. We've seen a large infusion of money that happened in 2017 that really went into 2018. And what happened was is the movement that started, and we all know the name of it, and the movement is? Red for Ed. And the movement is? Red for Ed. Red for Ed it did it. What happened was, when 80,000 people went to that lawn, something changed from a 1% raise, which was $400 a year, after taxes gave the teachers about $13 to $15 a month, to about $600 million that's been infused into the system with the governor's 20 by 20 plan. Is the system good? Does it actually give 20 by 20? Does it give the teachers a 20% raise? Unfortunately, no. And the way that the mechanism works just doesn't get there. You're going to see teachers probably topping out somewhere around 13 15%. They are seeing some money, though, for the first time. This year especially, there's been an interesting change. And the big changes are you have a couple momentum swings. One, you have this whole group of veteran teachers that are really just there and they're there and so now they see this new infusion of teachers starting to get salaries starting somewhere between the 38 and 42 thousand dollar mark which is still drastically low for a profession but it's very difficult for some of the veterans to wrap their mind around that so it's good that they're seeing some money come into their their pockets as well. Unfortunately, with all this money that comes in, even when it's done next year, we're still not at the 2008 levels. So why why is that important? Well, that means in 2008, we were still ranked 48th. So if we just get to that level, we're still gonna be ranked 48th. So yes, thank you, Governor, and thank you, Legislature, for passing the, the, the 20 for 20. We are grateful for any amount of money. But the advocacy part for us as a group is this cannot stop at 20 by 2020. This thing has to continue to go until we can get a handle on our first priority, which I believe is the teacher shortage. you have got about 25% of teachers that just aren't in that classroom. And you've got, call it about another 3,000 that um, Aren't really qualified to be in that classroom. So there's a couple things that happen when we have teacher shortages. In order for a student to thrive, the teacher needs about 30 to 45 days. It takes about a good month and a little bit longer to really build a trust between one another where you're gonna take some risks. And once you're able to take those risks and you feel safe in that classroom, that's when you get that buzz and that vibe going in the classroom, and that's when it starts to feel really good and people are learning. When those students don't have that champion in that classroom every day, that same person, they never truly get to that area where they can feel like they can take risks. And so that's the real hard part about the profession. And the second thing is the infrastructure of the schools. They're old, they're outdated. You have new schools that have been popping up a little bit here and there in some districts, but for other districts that have been around for a long time, an air conditioning unit, just talking to Superintendent Yeager at Amphi, uh, $800,000 for a brand new AC unit installed and bought. It's a million bucks. I mean, these are big time dollar ticket items. And so when you haven't funded those capital dollars, since 2008 and you're gonna just now start bringing it back we're well behind in infrastructure so what happens is you get a low-paying profession and then when you walk into your office every day the room doesn't look very nice or the buildings dilapidated it puts a little hardship on the profession something that has been really interesting is the county school superintendents we have an association Uh, i was recently elected to the Arizona Association of Counties. So I represent all of the superintendents from each county. And it's really been a first eye-opening experience of a new uh, part of legislation. So every Monday, we meet for about an hour and a half. And then we meet again on Friday. And then I'm up and down there. And so when we were talking about request to speak, RTS, um, which really, I mean, here's a list that I get on a regular basis that comes through. If you stay up on it, it's fine. When you're a little behind, it's going to take you probably about a half hour. But it's the best possible feeling you can have. And let me tell you how important it is. These legislators firsthand, if this thing's on the bubble, if they're kind of like, well, I'm not really quite sure, they're going to look at that RTS. And if it's not super uh, political, which some of these bills, it doesn't matter how many people sign on to RTS, they're still gonna vote the other single way. Um, it means a lot. So if you can get on there and you can do RTS, it's really important. We're working on a really important bill for the juvenile detention center in the jail incarceration bill. So when a student incarcerated at the juvenile detention center, if they if they did something really bad, they get tried as an adult, they have to go to the actual jail where Sheriff Nate Beer is on Silver Lake. Well, what's interesting is the funding model over the juvenile detention center is the same as a school, but when they go over to the jail, uh, it goes from 100 cents on the dollar to 72 cents on the dollar just for being incarcerated. So I lose 28% of an entire budget. Remember, these are complete schools. They have to have SPED directors, teachers, counselors, principals, the whole thing, and then I got to find the individual who wants to working there and care about these kids 200 days out of of the year. So we started to look at it. We said, well, that's interesting. And then we found another issue. Every single 18-year-old to 21-year-old, I get zero funding. So once you're incarcerated, you go to Amphi, you go to TUSD, all these seniors are 18, some are 19, some are 20. They moved around. These schools get full funding. They get absolutely zero. So we're looking at this bill. We have uh, um, Senator Carter uh, is running this bill. We passed the Education Committee 9-0 okay, to uh, get some funding for the 18- and 21 year old. And then we also uh, will be in appropriations on Friday. That's Senate Bill 1393. And there's a whole slew of them that come through. And I think every year you look at the bills that go through. I think if I were to say a couple standout bills that I'll just briefly go over. We've got uh, maybe rest restoring the fourth year of JTED funding. When JTED was cut, Yep, go ahead. Come on, let me hear it. Come on. Come on. We have a career and technical education shortage. All of our awesome uh, people that are in the career and technical education field are ready to go take their awesome retirement. Uh, we really have a major gap and a major need for people that have these high-skilled jobs. And so when JTEG got cut, it got brought back. They never brought back the fourth year funding for it. So hopefully, we'll see that. That's 2741. Steve, I'll leave here. Okay. And then um, we have a, an interesting bill out there. I guess I'll I'll go to this one next. It's called 1224 everyone remember the voucher bill yeah that's back that's back and it's in a, a unique way I'm sure you've all kind of heard of it so vouchers are money for it comes out of the public schools fund the general fund that is dedicated dollars for district and charter schools but now the money goes right to private schools so if you want to go to a private school you can sign up and get a voucher and if you qualify you get the voucher money and then that's it I don't see any of it I, I can't watch even one penny of it at least with the district dollars it, it has the absolute most transparency charter second but the private school vouchers I have zero idea what's going on with these dollars very very scary um, so what the bill does now is now the bill can cross state state lines so now we can give money to other states, anything within a two-mile radius. So what you're going to see is this is the very, very first infusion of the international voucher. So we've talked about this. This has been something that, as everyone has said, is, well, watch out. Public education is under threat. District schools, public ed, watch out. It's under threat with vouchers. Here it is. This is the first spiderweb of vouchers actually crossing the state line. And what happens is, the governor really, really wants it. You know, so it's one of his little, yeah, one of his little babies. He'll, he'll pick two or three things that he's really on. So what happens is the legislators kind of get handcuffed. If you want your bill to go through, okay, they now want this to go through. And this goes back and forth, back and forth. So walking the tightrope up in Phoenix is a. Uh, It's a nasty little thing. So when we talk about voting in and getting some more Democrats in there to get us some good balance, I can't tell you how pivotal it is this year. This is a real good shot for it to happen. And boy, we need that balance more than you can imagine. Um, Give you one more. Got a whole bunch, but I just want to give you a couple, then we'll do some questions. So in the whole arena of education there's one particular area that got cut and never came back and this is a special education funding special education is for students that have down syndrome or have adhd or have um, autism and what what we're seeing right now is we're starting to get a disparity between the district schools and the charter schools and then we're not again I don't know anything that's really going on with the private schools, which we would really like to. We're trying to build that relationship as much as possible, but it's very difficult. Um, so what's happening is district schools are running somewhere around, call it twelve to thirteen percent for special education students. Excuse me, where district schools are running somewhere around seven percent in Pima County, we're actually higher than. The, the state average. I've got some districts right around 17 18%. I actually have one school in the Floyd and Wells District. that's 24% special education population. So how, why is that real hard? You want to make sure the student gets the absolute best education, hands down. There's nothing wrong with the student. What's wrong is I might need an extra hand. I might need an ex, um, a para pro in there, a teacher's assistant, another body. So where do I pull those funds? Well, you end up pulling those funds from another pot inside your district, and unfortunately, those will eventually probably be coming from a general ed classroom. And so, those are the, the things that are are real uh, concerning for us at our level as we look at this. And you may know her; her name is Sylvia Allen. She's uh, yeah. But go ahead and figure she's the one. She's the one championing this. So you see, you see where the balance is, right? Like. It's hard to bash Sylvia Allen when she's the one that's standing up going, I want 50 million going into her now. So, this is where those tight ropes come in, and you say to yourself, Well, we love that one, Sylvia, but boy, we don't like the other one over here, and try to play it. So, that's that's up to our legislators. Anybody running for those positions got to be absolutely insane, but (laughs) that's on them. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, just open up some questions and answers, and you can kind of throw anything out, Patsy. Well, hold on, oh, get sorry, mic Larry, over to Yeah, Larry, okay. Raise your hand so I can bring the mic over to you. You said on that um, appropriations that could be used within two miles of the state boundaries, that our governor was in favor of that. Why would he be in favor of that? Patsy, the governor has a really close relationship with the Koch brothers. He's been a supporter of the (laughs) Koch Koch brothers. brothers. He's accepted donations from their organizations. That's factual knowledge. And the voucher uh, expansion model is really a Koch brother idea. Um, So we feel that this is being initiated through those channels. It's, 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 you know, the beginning really happened, Arizona was really probably the leading state in a couple areas, which is uh, probably charters and also the experience of vouchers. I mean, if it wasn't for the voters last year, uh, Lucy, do you remember the number on that? I can't remember. 305. 305, that That was it. They took all the limitations off the vouchers and said, anyone can go. Right now, if you're a failing F or D school, the student can apply for a voucher in the state, Native American lands, military, and special needs, and you can qualify to go for a voucher, and you basically get a credit card with $5,500 on it. That's it. But now what happens is uh, there's a group of students in the Navajo area, up in Navajo County, that are petitioning that they don't have the private school within the state So there's a school above the county line that they want to go to. Okay, Kathy Hoffman and I, we speak regularly, not a problem at all. She can make a special provision, not that she wants to do it or we want to go across state line, but she can make an exemption. She can fill it out, and that's what she already did. So there's no need to actually craft an entire bill that's going to change the structure of the Arizona Constitution. So it's a really, really uh, 1224. It's a very, very scary bill.
0: Dustin, I'll wake you up. Can you explain why it's critical to understand that the CTAB bill is fourth year funding and not freshman funding?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And a lot of it comes to the wording of the word freshman. Some people think that if you say that it's a freshman, some legislators don't think they're quite worthy for that fourth year when all of these trades take four years to learn. So it's a strategic play, to be quite honest, Mr. Bickle. And what they're just trying to do is to play it on that fourth year and not use the freshman year. That's as far as I know about that.
0: I, I have a
1: really basic question.
0: Charters, someone else,
1: yeah, Charter. Teacher, she well, Charter I'm schools, school public schools, 100% okay 100 public there as far as the labeling and the definition they're identical to the wording public school funding model and how they're funded and how they're ran completely different than the dis- district school district schools get about fifty five hundred per kid charters get about 6,700 per kid uh, procurement laws for charter schools are nowhere even near what they are for a district school. There's a lot of little um, uh, challenges to transparency and accountability with charter schools. Not all of them. I know some charter school doing some phenomenal stuff. Let me tell you that right now. Um, but there's a handful. Boy, if they want to make some money and make it just like a business, which was meant to be how it was oh, they're making a lot of money. One of the legislators is a multi-millionaire. Farnsworth. Yeah. A multimillionaire owns church holes and passes all the regulations at law. That's a a conflict of interest in my opinion. (laughs) Yeah, I'm uh, on the more practical side to make sure that you get (laughs) reelected. Do do you currently have um, any opposition on either um, uh, Democratic side in the primary or in the
0: general election? Republicans, I think, when it was filed.
1: You know, I know there's a there's a committee out there. It's about as much as I heard. Uh, someone from the Justice of the Peace, I think Brian called me one text, and I was like, hey, you guys are raising money. So I was like, oh, great. Um, but for us, we're just focused on our campaign, doing what we're doing, and asking for everyone's vote to re-elect Dustin Williams as your next Pima County School superintendent <laughs> Again. I've got a short non-ad. Most of you are probably helping fund the Koch brothers. There is literature over there about a recyclable, or uh, the most sustainable papers. Coke brother doesn't make any of those. The most popular papers are made by Coke brothers, so grab one of those, you go out. Other thing, this is just a, a minor question. How many employees do you have? and What software are you running to run uh, school districts financial stuff? Great, great question. We have about 40 total employees between my office and the accommodation district. And then we have about 60 professional teachers that go off of a stipend. The technology system that we're using at the office right now, Lillian, is a homegrown system that's been there for about 20 years. um two years ago i came to the county and i said no more so we brought the entire i.t department from the county over um, and we are now finally it's taken us literally really two long years and we still have another two more years to go in this whole thing but we'll be uh, venturing over to tyler industries and tyler industries is uh something that all the schools and their com- computer systems they all talk together and it's all the highest upgraded stuff that that these old outdated they, they worked really quirky and they would always crash on like a daily basis sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, this new industry that we have is it's solid, it will work really well. We're stealing the model from Maricopa, who deals with about another three, four hundred more schools. Hopefully that did that answer your question. Great.
0: Uh, Dustin, how
1: does the Board of Supervisors help or adversely impact your position? That's a great question. Okay, yeah, you're my money. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Basically, uh, what we would love to probably see is a little bit more of a relationship with the Board of Supervisors coming into the schools so that every time I come to them and I say, hey, here's a program we want you to support, we want to add to the budget, or we want to bring this in, um, you could have some firsthand knowledge of what's going on in those classrooms and not just the other elected speaking on education, but our supervisors speaking as well. Uh, Richard Elise has been a big champion on our pre K movement, which is night and day for students. Any student with high quality preschool education is miles ahead. Um, but really, you're, you're our lifeblood for how we build our infrastructure in our office. Um, If you believe in the vision that we have and we partner together that is good for kids, um, then it works. If it's something that has a, if you have an ulterior motive or something that you don't like, it's really going to cause a barrier. Um, And thankfully so far, we've had pretty good relations. Uh, Can always build
0: on this. A numbers uh, question. In Pima County, K through 12, approximately how many students hundred and
1: fifty thousand in Pima County
0: break it between public charter and private if you can
1: yeah that's a good question so you're gonna have probably about somewhere around twenty thousand now maybe a little bit less probably about a hundred thousand in the districts and then you have about sixty thousand in the uh, or about forty thousand in the Started. In the charter area, and then you're going to have a little split between homeschool and private for about the rest in there. Thank you. So, I keep reading articles that talk about the um, use of police in schools and you know, the school-to-prison pipeline, and then I also see articles that talk about how few counselors there are per student and dealing with uh, behavioral
0: problems that way. So can you comment on what it's like for you trying to allocate
1: resources and how you decide between police and counselors? Sure, so again, um, not to discount the question, but the district will ultimately make that decision for how they wanna spend their dollars. So here's, here's the problem though, Robert. There's been no dollars for counselors or social workers at all for a very long time we had the first initial money coming through last year that we still haven't seen. 20 million bucks infused for counselors, social workers, or an SRO. Obviously, everybody wants a counselor. Everyone wants a social worker. If they are going to have an SRO, we do not want policing. We want a relationship sort of uh, concept on that. So we're 900 to one right now is the ratio. That's 900 kids to one student for the counselor to student ratio. It's the worst in the nation, probably globally one of the worst in the world, I would imagine. Um, And what's hard about that is the counselor is really a lifeblood part of your school. The teacher got 30 kids in there, cannot do it all on their own. They try, and they will, and they have been. Boy, when you have a counselor, things really, really change. You can actually get to the heart and the soul of the student. Um, and then you can also see where we are on teen suicide rates, uh, second leading in the cause of death. And just what the way is this is really interesting. We compared a lot of data between students and adults. So we asked a whole group of uh, we did this town hall on the Metropolitan Education Commission. What did all the adults want to do with the kids, and what they think about education? And all the adults said, quality education, career technical education, uh, funding for the schools. All the kids, what they wanted. I want to talk about teen suicide. I want to talk about violence. I want to talk about like harming myself. So we're thinking two different ways, and one of the things is we have to start listening to students. and and finding out how can we also work with them and what they want. Because if the students are thinking one way and the adults are thinking the other, then we're all kind of going these different directions when the reality is the well-being of the student is priority number one, safety absolute number one. So it's a great question. Governors going to see another infusion. These are big numbers, by the way. When you hear the $20 going for the SRO, or for the counselor, or for the social worker. The first initial ask of the schools that put in grants, mind you, schools that have the ability to put in a grant. Right. Guys, grants are a nightmare. Like There is nothing worse than putting a grant together. It has to be verbatim, everything teased, everything crossed right on time. If you don't have that infrastructure to do that grant, <laughs> you're not even putting in the grant. So the first initial ask came out to $100 million is what they needed. And 500 schools still didn't get chosen. My accommodation school didn't get chosen for a social worker. Now, here's another thing. The fine print on that governor's $20 million program, every single one of those social workers and every one single one of those counselors have to have a master's degree. And we understand it's best practices, but believe me, what these superintendents from these districts can do, they, they, they get kind of handcuffed. It's really hard to find those specialty um, people with those master's degrees, so it makes it hard. So you're going to see those vacancies, they're not going to get filled the way that we want them, even by saying you're throwing a $20 million price tag. We've got to work around that a little bit somehow. So we're advocating on that level. Dustin, there's actually a bill out by Sean Bowie. Uh, regarding more training for counselors and social workers uh, pertaining to teen suicide. And it's actually on the um, Rules Committee now. But anyway, so just FYI, somebody's listening to to, to, to kids. Also 1224, uh, the Native American caucus uh, at the legislature came out against 1224. Uh, but 700 people weighed in against that bill and it still flew through committee so we know how that works because you're right it is the governor's bill but my question is okay what are you doing this Saturday oh that's a great question so mama bear calls okay when she calls I call listen and uh And Lucy loves to do this. I need you on the 28th. Okay, let me work the schedule. Okay, I'm good for the 28th. Sorry, it's the 22nd. Okay, let me figure out how to do it. So luckily, uh, if you're really interested in understanding what the charter world is like in district schools, there's a great film. It's going to be at the Democratic headquarters. Uh, They're going to set it up at around 5 o'clock. It's called Backpack Full of Cash. Uh, It's a short 50-minute film. I
0: think it's 75.
1: 70-minute, okay, same 5 minute film. Um, the narrator is uh, Matt Damon, and it does a deep dive into the disparities between the charter and the district. And again, um, not all charters are, are, are playing this. Some charters are really doing their best. They've got their Title I special education, lunch programs, really working at it. There's just this cohort on the side. Again, if you want to make those millions, it can be made, and that's really unfortunate because we want the dollars to go into the dollars of the kids in the classroom. So if you have the time to be there, we'll do a panel afterwards. We'll kind of talk a little bit about what's going on in the in the charter world and some of the things that we see. You can look a little bit more into the numbers, but it's really to just have everybody have an opportunity to get a really good uh, glimpse of the big picture nationwide. So if you can make it this Saturday, 5 o'clock, Democratic headquarters, we will be there. I think you just put the, the hit the head of the nail there <clears throat> when you talked about if you want to make a lot of money you can go into charter schools. Where is the accountability? What is the name of the bill that holds charter schools just as accountable as public schools, as real public schools, not not called ch- uh, public schools if they're actually charter schools, but real public schools?
0: Where is the board of directors, for example, for any charter school, and what is the bill? That holds the charters accountable.
1: It's a, that's a great question. Unfortunately, it's not there. The oversight at the charter board is—I think they have uh, like 10, 10 processors that overlook the whole county, but but five. Mm-hmm. Um, the other issue is it's it's how it's crafted in legislation. You know, th- this isn't just kind of built behind the closed doors, it's built a certain way for a certain individual or group, especially when you have legislators that own these. I mean, three years ago, we had the Senate president. He owned an STO company, which diverts uh, scholarships to private schools, goes right into... um, Mm -hmm. Uh, to any private school you want and you can take your tax credit He owned all those So where's his loyalty towards the public school? And that's where Again, I wish we would stress this more and more that when we're asking people to get out and vote We're looking for a balance We need some sort of balance of the scale because right now in Arizona even with our 3129 Things going right through so it's a great question it's uh, we were close. Last year, there was a bill. It was a charter reform bill. And we had a lot of uh, bipartisan support. And this happens too often than none. You're going to get the D's, and you're going to get the R's, and they're going to get into it. And it just seems like they too often they always want it more or just there's not enough happy media. We had something crafted. Was it a strong charter reform bill? No. Was it language? Yes. And that's what you have to create. If you don't create the language, you never get to the reform part. So we're still working on trying to go back to some sort of uh, bill for charter reform. So whatever we do, sometimes we got to take one for the team and get something on the books in the form of a statute that we can work off of next year. Just like we're working on this bill 1393. We tried the whole enchilada in 2018. I tried to do 72%, tried to take that to 100% and take the 18 to 21, it didn't fly. So this year we came back and just said, just give me 18 to 21 year olds, I'll take the 72 cents on the dollar. And you know what they did? they all sat back and go, well, we should be going from 72 cents to 100. And I was like, (laughs) I'm like, don't worry, we got you next year. We'll be coming for that second part. But that's just kind of how it works. A little game in there. And unfortunately, unfortunately, playing a game with kids. No one wants to play that, especially me. And I know all of you. Well, Dustin, thank you very much for a lot of time.
0: That's all for today's DGT podcast. Next week, our guest will be Rex Scott, a candidate for the Pima County Board of Supervisors 1st District. Remember that we may not always be able to record our meetings, so if you absolutely don't want to miss it, you can attend our meetings in person at Kettle Restaurant at noon on Mondays. Finally, here's one last reminder that you can support us by becoming a member of Democrats of Greater Tucson by going to our website. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.